By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, hello everybody. We're a little bit early today. It's 5 p.m. Italian time. My name's TV Kim, and this is the Italian Wine on Clubhouse, the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. It is what we call the Ambassador's Corner. It's more like a fireside chat style of interviews from one of our leading experts of Italian wine, including the ambassadors from Vinital International Academy, interviewing one of their favorite producers. And today we have Alberto Cordero di Montezemolo. Very long name. I think I know his father. I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever met Alberto. I've met his father, I believe. I'm older, much. So um, this, like I wrote to me, this is our actually 83rd episode is that correct like like of course is our house manager ciao like you on a train on a boat you you're usually unavailable where are you today hi stevie yes you're right it's the 83rd episode so far and where are you today i'm in my italian class oh you're kidding i can hear the echo okay yeah i'll let you go back to your class it's not a problem okay um, so let me just welcome Alan, Alan Kwok. Ciao, Alan. Ciao, Stevie. I, I, I was like, why are we doing so early today? And I realized because you're still in Hong Kong. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, it is just past midnight and um, I'm oh, having a bottle of Paolo from Elbato. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's midnight there already. Listen, um, so Alan Kwok, for those of you who are less familiar, he is what we call an Italian wine expert of VIA uh, as of November 2022. And he started his journey in the VIA community. When, when was that? A couple of years back? 2020? Uh, yeah, it was in uh, 2020. Yes, I love I love Alan's story because he started with the Maestro program, which is a level below the ambassadorship. 
And then he did the ambassador's program. And now he's become an expert, so incredibly disciplined and determined in the VIA community. He is also a master of Knights of Alba from Cavalieri di Tartufo. What, is, what does that even mean? Uh, it means that I am like um, I take care of the Hong Kong delegation for the Cavalieri. So we organize uh, eight chapters um, all for uh, the wines from Alba in Hong Kong. Uh, okay, that's what JC used to do, right? When he was in Hong Kong? Yes, yes. He was, uh, he was the previous um, maestro. Okay, so you took over from JC, basically. Yes, when he uh, returned to uh, Italy, then he became uh, part of the um, Grand Council. So, listen, how did you become to uh, in the Italian wine world? Like, where did you start? You, you've always lived in Hong Kong? Yes. Uh, no, I actually studied in uh, Melbourne for 14 years. Uh-huh. So it was then that uh, I became interested in wine, and then, uh, like many others, then I re- begin to read about wine critics. So I actually, uh, besides Australian wine, I start to drink um, French wines, Bordeaux and Burgundy. Of course. So it was really uh, when I discover like uh, the wines of Italy, I feel there's much more passion, and then more, much more uh, characters in the wine, and that's when I try to discover more beyond uh, like the normal Tuscany and Piemonte. And that's when I enrolled on uh, the VIA program. I was actually uh, one of the first, I I think I was in the first batch of uh, maestro students. Oh, excellent. Very good. And who was your teacher? It was uh, Alice Wong. Who really pulled me? Oh, it was the... Alice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then at that okay. time, uh, yep, they are running a wine course together with uh, Vincent, Felix, and uh, Anson. Yeah. So, uh, and that class is quite small, only uh, three people. But I think, uh, yeah, it was uh, really successful. Very good. Listen, Alan, you will of course come to Verona soon for Vinitaly. And you will become one of our uh, judges for Five Star Wines. When are you leaving? So I think I'm arriving on the 27th. Uh, Okay, so just... uh, Yeah, just in time. Okay. Listen, what about um, the restrictions now, the travel restriction? What is the current situation? Uh, Basically, everything is open. So there's no testing and there's no quarantine anymore. Finally, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, finalmente. Yeah, so no testing at all now? It's just... Yeah, no testing at all. You can just uh, fly in and then fly out without any restrictions. So well, if you want to come to Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah, I haven't well. been to Hong Kong since the pandemic. So it's been more than yeah. three years now, which is a very, very long time for me. I used to go there yeah. quite often, as you know. So listen, um, today, last time... Last time, I don't know if you've done Clubhouse since, but I recall very well you interviewed Steph M, the crazy Chinese man from um, Etna. Yes. Last time. <laughs> and you know, we went to see him as the Via Yes, yes. I read about the story and you opened yeah. a bottle, I think, of the 1,200 meters at yeah. the vineyard. And he drove us everywhere. We got lost. We got stuck in an alleyway. Crazy, crazy winemaker, but super fun and great story. And today you have Alberto Cordero di Montezemolo. Um, yes. So what? why did you choose Alberto today? 
I think, uh, first of all, um, as you know, I've been reading and drinking a lot of Barolos. And uh, I think with time, I sort of realized that while uh, we always enter Barolo with like um, really famous names and then also like vineyards, uh, like we look for structure, like Sevolunga, the Alba and so on. But as time moved on, I realized that I really like the wines from Namoa. And uh, the Cordero is one of the biggest names in uh, Namoa. And, but what is most significant, I think, is that um, they are really one of the pioneers who put uh, Barolo back on the map after the World War II, together with uh, Giacomo Odero and uh, Renato Orati. Mm-hmm. And I'm really fascinated that they had already this vision to use, uh, like, uh, to look into the cellars and also experiment with different biotypes and clones and so on. And I think these kind of things are like you can't really read in the books. And that's why I want to interview him. Okay, excellent. And as you know, we're a very geeky uh, group at the v- at the Vinital International Academy. So we always want to know what the learning objectives from this call. What should we expect from you after this call with Alberto? So my burning question is really I want to hear the story of uh, Nibiolo Bichette because Alberto family is one of the first to grow the biotype in the entire uh, Barolo. They are known as more like uh, experts where other wineries would go and study this um, biotype at their vineyards. And also I want to dig deep in the Barolo commune Lamoa because I think it is uh, a bit underrated. And also uh, I want to discuss how the style of Barolo has changes uh, with, with the global warming. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do is now I'm going to hand over the mic over to you. But before going, I just want to thank everyone for um, joining us. But we replay this call. So this call that Alan is doing and every other podcast interviews on Clubhouse, we replay it on Italian Wine Podcast. So in case you miss it, you can tell your friends. If you find it interesting, you can have them come over to Italian Wine Podcast. I believe it's one of the leading podcasts in the world now. We had about 3 million listens last year, so pretty significant. And the Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner, believe it or not, although it, it, it's, it's quite long, it's about um, 60 minutes, um, it is one of everybody's favorites. So uh, keep tuned, and it's wherever you get your pods. You can get it anywhere, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, on, the, uh, on your Apple you know, podcast, etc. So... This is where I get to enjoy the conversation. I leave the room. I will sh- mute my mic so I will shut up and then come back towards the end to see if there are any questions from the audience. Okay, over to you, Alan. Thank you. So let me uh, introduce Alberto, my guest. Alberto is the 19th generation of the Cordero de Montezimono family which is the owner of uh, the historical family farm in the heart of the village of Lamoa in Barolo. Born in 1981, he is the winemaker of the winery, which he manages together with his father, Giovanni, and sister, Enigna. Most of the vineyards are located in the hamlet of uh, Annunziata, which is also known as uh, the hill of Mont Palato. And a name which is derived from Mont Palet, or Monte di Faletti. This is, of course, a reference to the famous uh, Faletti family, which is related to the Cordero family. 
And the property has been in these hands since 1340, which is really long history. So, ciao, uh, Abato, and uh, welcome to the show. Ciao, Alan, and hi, everybody. Uh, thank you, Stevie, uh, for the introduction. Uh, yes, I mean, you're right. Uh, you almost described the... <laughs> Uh, a bit everything about the the long history uh, of the of the family. It's a it's a quick uh, and uh, fast introduction of the of the property. But could you tell us a little bit more about the winery and the history, uh, especially the relationships between the families? Uh, absolutely. Let's say that uh, Cordero di Montezemolo, you're right, Stevie, is quite a long name. It's um it's my family name, and it's a uh, a very old family from Piemonte region uh, was a noble family, Marchesi, so Marquise, uh, mostly related to the royal king, uh, royal family uh, of uh, Italy, the king, uh, the, the Savoy family, and uh, was mostly involved in uh, many different and important positions in the army and the diplomatic scene, uh, specifically during the 17th and 18th century. And this is when uh, the family got uh, several different uh, uh, properties in the southern part of the region of Piemonte, so around the city of Alba, but mainly. Uh, on the flat part uh, going to Torino, Turin city, and uh, a little bit closer to the mountains. Let's say that uh, the the relationship we have between uh, the the location where we do uh, wine and where we grow our vineyards uh, comes not really from the Cordero di Montezemolo side, but mainly from the Falletti family side, which was the second uh, or the second the, the the most important family also noble marchesi of the of the area of uh, barolo uh, there were many different branches of the falletti family and uh, one of them the falletti of la morra uh, finally met a cordero di montezemolo member and they got married uh, 150 years ago so when they finally, uh, that, that was the, uh, a lady, the Falletti, the Contessa Luigia, so was the, the last one and the only child. So when she passed away, basically the property where they used to make wines uh, moved to, uh, to, the, to the, the son, which is uh, obviously uh, my grandfather and um, Paolo, uh, that obviously got the name Cordero di Montezemolo from the father, and we, we basically lost the, the Falletti uh, part of the, of the family name. That's why also the, the name of the property comes from, because Monfalletto basically comes from, as you said, from the Latin Montfallettum, so the mountain of Falletti family. So uh, the mountain is basically a hill. We are at 300 meters above sea level. And um, this is uh, the location where uh, the, the entire history uh, is related to. So when you say uh, like they got uh, the marriage, which happened 150 years ago, and that was, of course, uh, uh, when they planted the famous uh, cedar tree, which you can really see from uh, the Lamoa. Exactly. It's a very famous tree. It's a cedar of Lebanon that dominates the entire property. It's on the highest point, on the peak of the hill of Monfalletto. 
and surrounding the historical uh, house and all the vineyards uh, around the trees. It's a very, it's a very big tree, very famous uh, because uh, you can see from uh, from the tree at uh, 360 degrees uh, mostly the full uh, Barolo area. And uh, yes, you're right. That was planted in 1856, so a little bit longer in a in a marriage that was uh, with uh, before <laughs> the last Falletti. So we're still uh, talking about uh, one generation before the the one that finally got uh, Falletti and Cordero di Montezemolo. So I read that uh, the present day winery officially started in 1938. And it was one of the first to uh, vinify uh, Paolo entirely from uh, Lamboa. And as the family always has uh, the Monfolato in the possession, could you tell us if that Paolo is only from Monfolato or it is a blend of grapes from different places? Uh, it is correct uh, and uh, and not. Let's say that uh, Monfalletto property indicates specifically the hill where we we have the winery we have the house where i live and uh, where we always uh, had the property it's uh, since the 1340 so 19 generations and uh, mostly 700 years that we are we are here and uh, you're right the still the the original uh, property that my my processor uh, used to make uh, used to farm uh, the vineyards and making wine uh, it's very difficult to say which is the first vintage we produced because it's um, we have several documents and uh, we have we know that wines has been always produced here since uh, over uh, two hundred years, but you have to consider the Lange area. 200 or, or simply 100 years ago, uh, which is uh, a totally different uh, scene and uh, uh, condition compared to the one we have nowadays. So nowadays we are more globally uh, exposed, uh, we are well-known people coming from all over the world. We have uh, roads, uh, train, uh, highways and so on. But uh, if you go back 200 years ago, and if you look on the map, uh, we were uh, in a very unlucky position because it was very hard to uh, to create the roads and to connect uh, the Lange with the the rest of the world and the rest of the world at that time was simply Italy, the Mediterranean Sea with the port of Genova and uh, the French uh, uh, border, which is just a one hour drive from here, but is uh, dominated and uh, uh, protected by the by the Alps. Um, so it was very difficult to create a, a, a proper um, uh, business and market around uh, around the wine. So wine has been always a, a very important uh, uh, part of the economy of the era, but was simply one of the many different uh, uh, farming parts. So uh, growing cereals uh, and breeding cows and sheep, uh, making cheese, uh, um, farming apples, uh, peaches. So everything was extremely important. And wine was considered obviously uh, a, a, good, uh, a good part of it, but not the only one. So we have uh, uh, basically, uh, the different documents uh, that the wine has been always a part of the of, of the business of the area, but we don't have a specific year. We consider 1938 uh, the first year that my grandfather Paolo 
um, started to promote the wine with uh, under his name. So we moved from uh, simply uh, Monfaletto Estate to uh, uh, an official, uh, let's say, a little bit more modern uh, brand as Cordero di Montezemolo. But you're right, the property is the same and the wine has been, uh, nowadays, is the same as, uh, as it was uh, back to the days. So, Gifan, at this early stage, uh, you are really like uh, planting your own grapes and making your own Paolo instead of uh, sourcing the grapes from elsewhere. Yes, exactly. The entire production we do, which is not only on Barolo, but also on the other wines, is made with the vineyards that we directly uh, manage. Uh, a part of the Monfaletto, but very little part, is also leased. It's just uh, um, uh, beside the uh, vineyard uh, next to, the, next to the, the Monfaletto Hill that we can consider and we can include into the Monfaletto final blend. And, um, but we manage the vineyard and we have a very long leasing, like over 20 years um, uh, contract. So we can farm everything, we can make vinification. And so, yes, 100% of the wine is uh, entirely uh, sourced. And um, <clears throat> would you uh, like, um, was Paolo the main wine product at that time? Or it was not. Yes, the the two uh, pillars of the winery have been always uh, Dolcetto and Nebbiolo, and Barolo for sure has been always. Uh, even if we look at the back at the old documents we have at the winery, it was always considered the most uh, important one and the uh, and the main production. But uh, secondary, also extremely important. Uh, was uh, the Dolcetto um, uh, position. So Dolcetto played always a, a big, uh, important role on the uh, daily wine consumption, while Barolo has been always considered a little bit more the, the prestigious wine consumption. Yes, uh, so, um, so I think uh, it really strike me that like uh, you're really concentrating in the Lamoa district. Besides, obviously, later we will talk about uh, the Enrico. Um, so is there a particular reason besides that Lamoa is the most uh, planted, uh, like has the largest surface area of Nebbiolo in Paolo? Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the style of uh, Lamoa Paolo and uh, how you see this um, in terms of all the communes? Uh, sure. Let's say that uh, we, we tend to, uh, to think about uh, a wine mostly based on what happened in the last uh, 30 or 40 years. So it's a quite uh, recent uh, history. But uh, most of the time, uh, reasons uh, of uh, something are more uh, simple and we just have to look uh, back and to see what happened uh, years and years before. So if we look, for example, at the origin of the Barolo, so 150 years ago, even more, uh, let's say that the Verduno, for example, was the 
and a very important position, although it was a very small and tiny village, because it was the closest village to the train station. So the one that was more easy to, um, to connect with the rest of the world, with the transportation, shipments, and so on. Or you take Serra Lunga, but the lowest part of the village, where so the bottom of the hill, where Serra um, Fontana Freda is located, because also in that case it was very easy to uh, to reach and to connect with the different roads, and because that was the the um, the estate of the of the king of Italy, Vittorio Emanuele. Uh, little by little, then we had a period in between the two world wars, uh, first and second. So we talk about the 20s, 30s, 40s, where the entire area became uh, uh, struggled by uh, a very uh, hard uh, and difficult moment with a lot of troubles, as you can imagine, with the wars and with the, uh, the partisans and the resistance. Uh, and then uh, afterwards, uh, you you go to the uh, the 50s and 60s, where there was uh, the economic Italian boom, uh, you know, uh, the phenomenon that uh, exposed the entire area to the to the big cities. So most of the people moved to uh, Torino and Milano to uh, to reach a, a better expectation of life uh, with a new job and not. Uh, you know, working hard uh, in the uh, in the vineyards uh, with uh, which with a lot of uh, stress and big uh, commitments. At that stage, let's say that La Morra played a, a, an important role because was the uh, the lucky position. Uh, if you look at the at the roads and the vineyard, where it was more easy to work, uh, a more extended uh, portion of the land, so it was a bit easier to um, uh, to develop a larger part of the new vineyards. Uh, and that's why, yes, La Morra, as you said, is uh, mostly 30% of the entire domination, uh, denomination. Uh, at that stage, uh, so we talk about uh, 50s, 60s and 70s, uh, uh, several people uh, played uh, an, an important role. Uh, as, uh, as you said, my grandfather Paolo, beside uh, Pietro Ratti, Giacomo uh, Oddero, but we can also include other people like, you know, Bartolo Mascarello, Bruno Giacosa, Angelo Gaia, late, a little bit later on in the 1780s. So every, if we look back to the history, everybody in, uh, in their uh, age uh, played uh, an important role. If you take, for example, the 90s, uh, also and a very important role was played by the, what we call Barolo Boys, so the new generation. Uh, uh, with a lot of uh, um, you know innovative innovative uh, ideas uh, that want to break uh, with the tradition then you know 20 years later uh, we see a more uh, uh, marriage and and combination between uh, those uh, young generation with the with the old one so um, we 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 have to consider uh, that um, uh, the tradition is uh, only uh, uh, is in constant evolution. So we are just here to to. We don't have any any sure any uh, sure uh, things to calculate on. We just have to look at uh, what we have and uh, and start and, and try to to do our best to uh, 
to improve uh, the, the, the know-how uh, and, and to go to the next step. No, I think what you said about um, the location of Verduno and also um, Fontana Freda is really enlightening for me. So uh, thank you for the information. And I think it also goes to explain why Montpellier is so famous because it's uh, the warmest site in Verduno and it is so close to the transportation. So I'm yeah I'm really happy that you share that with us. Yes. So exactly. I would uh, I would next uh, want to go into details of the vineyards because uh, Gatewa, which is uh, in Monferrato, is um, I read in the books that it is one of the top ten vineyards in the entire Barolo. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about the signature of the vineyard and what kind of wines you make uh, from this vineyard? Uh, yes, sure. Gatera is the official name of what we call MGA, Menzione Geografica Aggiuntiva, what uh, basically the French uh, uh, domin uh, domination or, or producers uh, called uh, Climat or Cru. So is uh, is the official name of the of the single vineyard, which is pretty extended, because our um, uh, twenty five uh, excuse me twenty eight hectares of the entire extension of Gatera. Not all of them are included uh, uh, or exclusively uh, grown with Nebbiolo because some of them are also grown with uh, Barbera and Dolcetto and so on. And uh, also other producers share this uh, crew, uh, this MGA, Gatera, with us. We are the, the major uh, owner and, and producer, and this is, uh, let's say, the 75% uh, of... Um, of uh, the Monfaletto wine, which is our largest production, and as I said before, is the the global um, blend of all our vineyards uh, we have at the domain, which are all here around the winery, but they are pretty extended, and so that's why we consider this as our you know largest production, the classic uh, uh, version of Barolo. Beside this, we also produce only one tank. So when we go to pick the grape, we typically make a selection of two uh, lots of the Gatera vineyard in two sites where we have a peculiar clones miquette that produce little bunches and little size and very old vines. We make a selection of this grape to make only one uh, one tank of fermentation uh, and finally the wine which is around 5000 6000 bottles per year uh, are bottled with their official name Gattera the main characteristic of the land we are here is to have a, a bit higher portion of sand and a lot of magnesium and is a, a very open part of the valley so the hill uh, is uh, is in a very lucky spot because get a lot of sun and so typically you have a, um, a bit uh, just a little bit warmer area compared to many other sites of uh, Barolo uh, MGA so the 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 characteristic of the wine is to be always extremely gentle extremely uh, smooth and ready to drink also when he's uh, only four or five years old. So since the, the release, uh, it's, uh, it's a bottle you can open and, and enjoy. 
and this is、uh, the style which、uh, you're looking for, isn't it? So you 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 would not think、uh, about to、uh, maybe blend Nibiolo grapes from other communes、um, to this wine. You always make this、uh, from Lamora. Uh, yes, we always did、uh, from Lamora because at the end we have already a pretty extended surface uh, uh, to to work on, because、uh, the entire、uh, vineyards uh, are fifty、um, six hectares, but we have to consider also. The property we have in Alba and、uh, in other parts, and we talk about also Dolcetto, Barbera, Nebbiolo, and so on. If we go specifically just on Barolo, we already work on seventeen hectares, which is、uh, enough, honestly, at the moment for us. And、uh, we reputate that you know it's、uh, it's okay. We don't need extra extra vineyard. Of course,、uh, we are always keep our eyes open. If there are any opportunities,、uh, we can see. But let's say that nowadays became pretty hard, pretty difficult、uh, to get the new vineyards.、Uh, first of all, because、uh, you don't find many, and secondary because the the price、uh, rise up、uh, crazily, and so it's pretty hard to to buy something or to to rent something. So when I visit、uh, your winery. We I noticed that、uh, there's a top wine which is only on sale、uh, from the winery and bottled in Vietnam. So that's the Barolo Reserve、uh, Corvette, and this is made from the same MGA,、uh, but a smaller plot with around seventy different Barolo clones. Since、uh, most of us would not have the chance to try this wine, can you tell us、uh, more about this wine and how does it taste? Absolutely, this is a very particular product.、Uh, it's a very、uh, rare and exclusive、uh, label because、um, the name of the wine is Barolo Riserva Gorette. First of all, is the only Riserva we produce with the appellation Riserva.、Uh, Gorette is not an official name, but has、uh, been always the name of this.、Uh, Parcel of the Monfaletto that is just below the tree, the the big tree we have on top, the Cedar of Lebanon on top of the hill, and is the part that faces east southeast, which is pretty extended, and so largest part of the grape is included in the Monfaletto Barolo blend, but in very good vintages, in the central part of the plot we have seven rows. Uh, excuse me, five rows. When we have seventy、uh, different clones of Nebbiolo that my、uh, grandfather, next to my father, selected in the seventies、uh, with the University of Torino of Viticulture, and we talk about Nebbiolo coming from different and selected at that time from different、uh, vineyards in Barolo, Barbaresco, but we also get.、Uh, Nebbiolo grape from、uh, Alto Piemonte, so Gattinara, Gemme, Bocca, and Valtellina as well. So from these vineyards,、uh, which was experimental vineyards, we have a very high and big diversity of、uh, of styles, and we like to make a, a tiny selection of this grape to make a, a, a micro vinification in a in a very tiny. Uh, tank, tank, and、um, we we age the wine for about twenty months in barrels, 
uh, as we do with all the other Barolos, so doesn't spend uh, extra time. But uh, the particular thing is that uh, it's just bottled in magnum size, uh, one liter and a half, uh, spend uh, six years uh, quiet uh, at the cellar to rest a bit, and then finally is available. But as you said, it's just available here at the winery. So we don't export, we don't ship, we don't put this bottle in our catalogs, but it's only uh, it's a it's a jewel that it's uh, available for uh, people that love uh, Barolo a lot and uh, spend time to come to visit us. And uh, finally, another very important thing and, and funny thing is to have the chance to buy any of the vintages uh, we, we produce from this bottle. So if you come today at the winery, you can buy a manium from 98 or 2004, 2009, uh, 2001. The recent release was 2013. So any vintage you like, you can have it. But of course, you must come visit us and you have to be here. And what did you learn from uh, planting all the different clones? Like, uh, what did you learn? What kind of clones is most suitable to your site? Uh, do you, yeah, how was the conclusion? But this is a funny, a funny question because you know when you do um, research, uh, especially on on farming, uh, sometimes it takes a long time to have uh, finally some feedbacks. Uh, and uh, when you finally have some feedbacks, uh, you you can use it uh, uh, for a, a short period because at the end uh, the problem of making wine and, and being in this business is that uh, uh, the the variable. Uh, are constantly changing and uh, if you take the the global warming and uh, and what what happened nowadays to the to the war with the with the weather that is obviously also in barolo uh, different compared to the 70s and 80s what we were looking for uh, 40 years ago is different from what we are uh, what we need nowadays so that's why you know it's funny because you invest a lot to learn something that at the end is not useful because you have to <laughs> to try something different nowadays. But uh, it's also true that, uh, you know, you learn something, you put on a side uh, and then you keep it for future experience. Uh, it's a constant uh, uh, imp imp implement and improvement of your, uh, your skills and your know-how. So uh, most of the time people ask us about, you know, what we did and what we, uh, what was the, the, the secret of our good job in the 70s and 80s. And sometimes uh, what we did in the past uh, that was very uh, important to do and good is nowadays something that is uh, uh, obsolete. I don't know if it's uh, the right uh, mean, but uh, is uh, something that we, we we can't use it anymore because the conditions are different. The way we farm nowadays is much more precise. Pay much more attention attention to details. We have an extra budget uh, compared to my grandfather time. More people, more more workers. Uh, higher uh, the technology helps a lot. And uh, beside that, uh, also the, the the weather is completely different. Uh, just to give you an example, we every year we we talk about you know uh, this vintage is considered a hot vintage. Uh, but now, if we look to see our data from the weather station we have at the, at the winery, 
it's more than 20 years that it's hot. Every year is very hot. So <laughs> we have to stop thinking about, uh, you know, a hot vintage or a cold vintage because it's a fact that the weather is changed and it's warmer nowadays compared to the past. So we adopt a technique also the selection of clones uh, we use uh, obviously are the clones of Nebbiolo that are m much better now with this condition that perform better uh, compared to the clones that uh, my grandfather and my father uh, were selecting and looking for uh, 30 years ago. So uh, coming back to this, I think um, in recent vintages of Baumlomo, for example, 2017 and 2019, the fruit concentration is uh, like so high that it's really approachable, and sometimes like I really think that they have a structure of a uh, young burgundy. So, do you think this is uh, entirely because of the global warming conditions, but or it is also a change uh, in the winemaking decisions? Yeah, it is both. As I said before, is a combination of the two things. Uh, our job uh, and. Uh, and what we have to do is uh, to interpret uh, what's happening. Uh, every, we have only one chance to make wine per year. Uh, so first of all, we don't have to, to make a big mistake. And this is number one. Uh, and secondary, we have to, to, to pay attention, to just uh, look uh, at what's happening around us. And uh, if we do something, what is, what is the, the feedback and the result? You learn something and you, uh, you follow uh, your, your idea. So nowadays, the vintages are all for not, I guess, not only for our winery, but uh, I have to say for a largest part of producers that there are much more uh, approachable, ready and smooth uh, compared to the past. And then be beside that, as I said before, and you remind me, uh, all our vineyards are in La Morra, in Annunziata, where stylistically, uh, we always had a, a much more approachable style. So we don't follow this because we like this. We just follow this because uh, this is our terroir expression. If I had vineyards in, uh, in Serralunga, I would probably have a different uh, um, way of, uh, of farming and interpreting in the wine. But would you say that uh, the maceration condition is also different in terms of uh, temperature or the duration or the extraction method? Yes, of course. Every, every time you 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 implement and you you set your uh, your style and your techniques with uh, little steps and little changes but uh, i'm not so focused on uh, on on that i mean it makes no sense to me to talk about uh, yes we we do 15 days of maceration or 12 days or 18 days because it's just a number and uh, what we look at is the the final result that has to be a good harmony so all our wines uh, or we, what we try to do uh, is to get uh, a very beautiful uh, uh, balance of uh, all the uh, components the perfume the tannins the acidity the 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 sweetness uh, which is not the sugar residual because it's zero but it's the sweetness of the of the fruit you get from the glass uh, and so to do that, uh, I, I'm not so uh, rigid in, uh, in, uh, in following recipes, but uh, I'm just, you know, um, uh, 
do uh, what I always did and try to do something different to see if I can perform better. So yes, the temperature can be a little bit higher sometimes, can be a little bit lower, can be longer, can be shorter. It's, it doesn't matter. Uh, for me, it's just a, a number. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Yep. So uh, I think lastly, I would like to go into the subject of uh, the Biolo Minket. So um, your winery uh, like purchased two hectares of land in Vilevo, which is where you make the Maolo and we call the sixth. So just uh, lastly, I would like to go uh, on the subject of the Biolo Minket. Uh, like I win that uh, the entire vineyard of your Vilevo was planted with uh, Nibiolo Vincat and it was uh, 100% uh, from this wild type before. Can you share with us uh, your experience in this grape and uh, how, uh, like, what, what makes you to change from 100% Vincat and back to, I think nowadays it's a blend of Vincat and Lampi. Yes, you're right. Uh, the only par- parcel we own uh, and we farm on uh, out of this uh, property around uh, the buildings uh, is uh, local- localized in uh, Castiglione Faletto Village and precisely in Villero MGA, which is uh, one of the best vineyards of uh, Barolo. We share the vineyard, uh, the vineyard, uh, a part of Villero with other very good producers uh, that include uh, Vieti, Sandrone, Paruso, Dero, Brovi and many others, uh, just to give you some some names. So it's a very top position and uh, it's 2.2 hectares uh, that my grandfather bought uh, in um, in 65 when um, his uh, sixth child was born uh, and his name is Enrico. So uh, a few years later, where he decided to make a single vineyard uh, from this wine, and he decided to dedicate this wine to the to the new vineyard to celebrate, let's say, the new vineyard and the new son calling the wine Barolo Enrico the Sixth. Villero is an area, uh, it's at the same altitude and same exposure here, more or less, we we don't have a big difference. Uh, The main difference is based on the the clay that is quite rich in iron and is a little bit more calcareous. Uh, it's also a bit fresher air compared to Monfaletto, so uh, the Barolo tends to be a little bit more mu- uh, muscular, more masculine, with uh, more uh, full body uh, structure, with more tannins, uh, uh, more black fruits and more earthy notes. This is more or less a generic uh, uh, distinction uh, from Villero. So from Barolo Enrico Sesto compared to the wine uh, we produce here in La Morra in Annunziata that tends to be more feminine, so more uh, red fruits, uh, uh, sweet spices, more uh, linear and central part of your tongue, uh, perception of tannins uh, and, uh, and so on. In terms of vinification, honestly, we do basically the same and farming as well. And do you see that uh, by using a larger percentage of the DBA chat, then uh, it really makes better concentration? Or? As I said before, uh, we are not focused on Miquet anymore as we as we did and were in the 80s because uh, 
Nowadays, we, we have, first of all, it's impossible to get a new miquette because what you can find in the market is only Lampia. And it's globally, this is not only here, but it's for everybody. Every plant we replant uh, is based on Lampia. And the new clones that are much better clones nowadays, uh, more uh, balanced with more freshness, less concentration, uh, compared to the Miquette that nowadays, yes, the old vintage is still very good and nice, but uh, the performance is, is really, uh, you know, more difficult to, to, to maintain in a certain consistency. Is that because it has uh, like smaller leaves? So it makes it uh, difficult. Yeah, as uh, you know, Miquette is a lampia with virus. So at the end, it's very unstable. Uh, it was considered super good in a period when we had the very rainy vint vintages. So that why Miquette has been considered super good back to the 70s and 80s? Because those were vintages very rainy. Years where we had a, a very cloudy uh, sky. And so having uh, uh, more... Uh, uh, thin and little uh, buds and leaves uh, were safer in terms of the the molds uh, with a lower production naturally without you know big intervents. Uh, nowadays it's mm, not the opposite because we don't have a, and you don't need a high vigorosity of the of the plants, but uh, you need the plant, uh, leaves uh, with a more uh, extended. Uh, uh, page uh, so very very uh, wide in order to maintain a, a kind of uh, um, protection like an umbrella to the um, productive part of the plant. Uh, are you planting the Bioro rose as well? Because I read that. Uh, yeah, no, rose is more rose is more or less like Miquet is mostly disappeared, so it's it's mostly impossible to get uh, some plants of it. Uh, we have few rows uh, that are included in the Mufaletto, but uh, yeah, it's uh, like uh, probably 3%. I have no idea, honestly. And if you, uh, so if you compare the three bubble rows uh, you make, which is your favorite one? <laughs> Obviously, our three three production children, as you can probably imagine, and so it's impossible to. Let's say that my my biggest proud is the Barolo Monfaletto for sure, because it's the 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 flagship wine is the most historical one. You play with many different plots, more young, more old, a little bit lower on the hill, higher, where you have a more drier soil, a little bit more fertile fertile soil. So you have to uh, to manage every single part with uh, not crazy differences, but little. Uh, adjustments uh, to get finally uh, a very high con balance of each plot that finally together make a very big harmony to the wine. So finally, I would like to ask you, uh, what do you like to drink at home alone? And uh, what is your favorite food to match with a bottle of uh, Paolo Monfalato? 
Uh, good question. I, I like to, first of all, I like to drink uh, uh, a lot and many wines. Everything uh, comes uh, uh, under my uh, my arm, you know, is open right away. So um, I love uh, Rieslings, uh, obviously Pinot from Burgundy, although, you know, it's been more and more difficult to find and to, and to pay for it. Uh, obviously, all Nebbiolos uh, from my colleagues uh, in Alto Piemonte, uh, the Rhone wines, uh, Champagne, uh, obviously, uh, as all Barolo producers are here in the area, if you come uh, and you ask, uh, we, we, drink, we love bubbles. Um, you know, uh, Etna wines, uh, whites from Alto Adige. I'm, you know, I, I'd like to explore a lot and drink as much as I can to learn, to, to make comparison, to, to improve my... My know-how, uh, which is you know, uh, wine at the end is good because uh, you you never uh, finish to learn. Once you you know something, uh, probably is the opposite. The more you drink and less you know, uh, <laughs> or your uh, your um, uh, stereotype uh, drop down, you know. <laughs> So it's um, that's the beauty of our business, and in terms of of um, combination, is the same. I mean, uh, nowadays cuisine is a, is a mix uh, and match of uh, I- different influences. You know, the Asian uh, ingredients uh, with the uh, South American ingredients, or Mediterranean uh, with more Nordic uh, uh, ingredients. So it's, uh, it's very hard to say. What I like to say is that uh, Nebbiolo, so I'm not talking about Barolo, but Nebbiolo as a grape in general, is a grape that is able to be extremely versatile. So uh, it depends on what you're eating. Uh, the Nebbiolo in the glass uh, is able to change and perform uh, differently and match always pretty well with uh, the the wine the, the the dish you have in front of you. It's funny that uh, you mentioned about old vintages of Alto Piemonte because uh, I recently have uh, some from the sixties and seventies from Gatinal, and I find that uh, like the higher acidic structure and less food concentration makes it actually quite linear when aged. And you really have the feeling that uh, it's almost like um, more to the direction of a white wine because it has less of uh, the earthy taste and the camphor taste and so on. So uh, the ageability really surprises me. Hello? Yes, yes. So um, should we go to the you. Q&A session? Okay, so I'm back. So if there is a, first of all, hold on one second. I'll give you that special effect. There you go. You get you did you guys did such a wonderful job. Thank you very much for that informative session. I was just wondering, um, Alberto, can you just quickly? We don't have very much time, but can you just quickly uh, give us um, an overview of the number of labels that you have, and also in terms of the production volume, a little sure. bit more about the market side. There you go. Mm. Sure. Uh, our production has been uh, extremely stable over the years uh, because we have uh, at the end only 10 labels and those are the same labels we always uh, 
produced and have uh, since uh, decades and decades. So beside uh, the three Barolo we just mentioned and the Barolo Reserva Gorete, the special one we just uh, sell here at the winery, we um, very important are also what we consider the varieties uh, uh, label. So the classic ones for a daily uh, consumption. So Dolcetto d'Alba, Barbera d'Alba, Lange Nebbiolo, and as a white Lange Arnaise, based on Arnaise grape. We also have a tiny production of a single vineyard Barbera, a little bit more rich and opulent, and a tiny production of Chardonnay, uh, more burgundy style made. Beside this, we have also tiny production of uh, Barolo Chinato, a very special product, and an Alta Langa, so the classic DOCG uh, Metodo Champenoise of the era, which uh, my father started in 88 to make, so it's a long time we do it, but it's a tiny production of sparkling wine, and, and that's it. As I said before, we only work with uh, our vineyards and uh, we can calculate uh, around 56 hectares and an average production of uh, 300,000 bottles when, you know, the vintage is regular and okay. In, in total, right? Yeah, in total for all labels together. Okay. And how many bottles or um, account for a Barolo? Uh, Barolo is uh, approximately 70, so it's a 20, in between 25 and 28% of the total production. Okay. All right. And do you have a particularly favorite wine for, for you? No, as I said, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a d d difficult question when, uh, when you ask to produce. Well, let me that. ask you a personal question. How old are you? How old are you? 42. Oh, so you're not that, that um, young. I thought you were much younger. Your dad is, is your dad Stefano? Stefano is a cousin. Uh, the one oh, living he's in a Fire cousin. Yeah. Okay. He lives in, I, I thought he was yeah, your he's a dad. cousin. Okay. No, no. My father is Giovanni, who's a, uh, retired right now. I mean, he's here almost every day. He's in good shape. He's 75. But let's say that since COVID or a few years before COVID, he started to, to be more on a side with all the, uh, you know, the responsibilities. So you have these um, different labels for perhaps also the younger generation. But of course, Barolo in terms of price, as well as the uh, positioning, it's fairly for, let's say, a more mature uh, market. How are you uh, broaching the younger generation, the next generation of um, the wine lovers or wine drinkers, personal perspective? Uh, but of course, uh, you know, approaching new generations and new consumers, uh, it's something uh, that for a region and area like Barolo, you can't do alone. So yeah, it, it's it's the million dollar question. You know? Yes. So I think <laughs> that uh, nowadays what is good is that uh, you have a let's say a movement, and uh, every producer in the area uh, are smart and play their all uh, their all cards uh, better to uh, approach uh, new consumers in different ways. Uh, let's say that social media obviously nowadays uh, help a lot in terms of you know showing quickly and 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 fast and and, and well what is uh, the offer of, of an area and uh, we offer a crazy beautiful uh, landscape as you know and uh, <coughs> excuse me and excellent wines um so and then we have a lot of uh, new young generation of producers i'm still young of course i'm only 42 but let's say that it's uh, 
already 20 years I, I'm uh, on the road, so I consider uh-huh. myself not as young as uh, others. But uh, if I look at around me, I see a lot of my colleagues, which are around 40s, uh, 45 or so, and uh, many that are, um, you know, 25, 28, 30s that are full of energy and uh, a lot of ideas and they know how to uh, to connect and to talk and communicate to their their, their generation so it's something that uh, again i can't do myself only i just follow the way so i mean are you very active in social media i'm on your in- instagram right now I'm, are you doing the social media yourself do you have somebody doing it for you i'm i'm very bad honestly <laughs> so we have to 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 yeah to hire no we have a, a person that is more much smarter and good than me so he does uh, our uh, social media stuff no I'm, okay. I'm super bad okay so you have a, a staff member doing that yeah exactly okay all right so check out his um, social media it's Cordero di Montezemolo Winery one word yes <laughs> exactly it's, 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 it's very long yeah um, we like our difficult things. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you said you've been working for about 20 plus years in in the winery, in the in the family company. How has how has it evolved? What are the main differences from 20 years ago? But uh, you you know, guys, uh, extremely well. Uh, the, the what's happening uh, in the world since uh, uh, iPhone uh, arrived in the <laughs> in our life so what i consider probably the biggest difference is the 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 speed uh, everything you do now has to mm-hmm. be fast has to be uh, communicate quickly and uh, it, it's a plus it's an advantage and a disadvantage as you probably know so that's probably the main big difference i noticed so we we became much more uh, popular compared to the past uh, we can communicate much faster on the same time we we can lose everything uh, uh, faster too uh, beside that you know we still do the same job as we always did uh, obviously we change uh, the, the technology the we, we get older we learn something we do some mistake uh, we 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 reach some goals, uh, but at the end, our mind, our philosophy, our uh, way of thinking has been always the same. So put a lot of passion, trying to do our best, and and stop. You know, very simple. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Alberto Cordero di Montezemolo was our guest, and our. Mod Squad for today, of course, is our Italian wine expert, Alan Quag. Thank you so much. Before we um, head out, um, I just want to bring Laika back up. Laika? Hi, Stevie. Are Hello. you finished with your class yet? Uh, no, not yet. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you're learning Italian. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Laika, who is our next guest and when are we doing the call? Um, so, it's going to be tomorrow. Um, oh, because... tomorrow. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> no, because we have to fill up for the Benitoli Marathon. So, right, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's just it, it's just two for this week. So tomorrow it's Hugh Priest. Um, um, he will be interviewing Viviana Ganjami. Okay, excellent. So we'll be looking forward to uh, calling Hugh Priest tomorrow. Of course, we had the uh, we were on the road show with Hugh in Princeton. 
He owns a bunch of restaurants. He never stops. He's working. He doesn't eat during the daytime. He is fascinating. Last time, I believe, he interviewed Ariane Occhipinti, and that was by far one of our most listened-to um, podcasts. So there you go. Thank you very much. Ciao, ragazzi. Alla prossima. Ciao, Alberto. Ciao, Ciao Alan. Ciao. Grazie mille. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.